My people, how are y'all today? That was terrible. TJ, set up straight. I don't see no playing around over there. I told him I was going to call him out, so he said I wouldn't do it. <laughs> Man, y'all, I am, I am excited today. I always am. Um, I, Thursday night, I forgot the kids in the bed. Um, I was just studying, and, and uh, Bethany was getting Charlie ready for bed. And uh, Anyway, she came in, and she said, uh, how's it going? And I said, man, I, I love this, and I really do. Um, I wish I was a good learner in college as I am now. Uh, but there's just something about digging into a passage of Scripture and just learning new things that you didn't know before. So I'm excited to, to share with you guys what I've learned today uh, or learned this week. Um, so today, Anna is going to hate me. <laughs> Glenn had 10 slides last week. I have 93 uh, don't let that be intimidating to the rest of you. It's just a lot of scripture. So today I, I entitled this Abiding, Recovering from Failure. We talk a lot about the abiding cycle and, and what that looks like and how we operate, uh, but we typically look at it from a successful standpoint. We're going we're gonna to be obedient. We've defined abiding as just obeying the commands of Christ. Um, but we don't look at what happens when you mess up in the middle of that process. And um, so today, the, our main passage is going to be out of, um, out of John 21. But before we get to that, I want to read um, the, the story from the last two weeks for anybody that wasn't here, just because it, it's going to define a lot about what we're going to talk about today. So let's just jump right in. Um, so this is out of Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we told all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and the nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So we define the abiding cycle as, as obeying God, okay? So just to run through this one more time, uh, this, is, this is the abiding cycle. First, Jesus speaks. So in this particular passage, he tells Simon to put out in the deep and let down his nets for a catch. Second st- stage is, is the only stage in which we have any responsibility in the whole abiding cycle, and that's just to be obedient to what God has said. So Peter says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing but at your word, I'll let down the nets. And so they go out and they put the nets down. And then number three is God-exclusive activity. That's where God does what only God can do. Um, and, and Scripture says, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish so that their nets were breaking. And then the, the fourth and final step in that process is that, Peter is, is that we see God for who he is. And so that's what happened with Peter. Uh, he says, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell at his knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So that's the, that's the basis for our understanding of, of what's going to happen in, in, the, in John chapter 21 because it's a very similar story to what we read here, but it's a different occasion. So before we get into that, I want to, I want to give you some history. I want to look at a progression of the major events in Peter's life after his call just to give us an idea of, of where he's coming from. So shortly after this, um, in Matthew uh, chapter 8, verse 14 through 17, we see the, the healing of, of his mother-in-law, of Peter's mother-in-law. It says this, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. 
He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and he rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and, the, and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and bore our disease. All right, and then these are just some highlights. These are three things that for me were major in Peter's life. Uh, the next one is when Jesus walks on water, and it's, that's out of Matthew 14, verse 22 through 33, and it says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch, that's about 3 a.m. of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when he got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. And then the last one that I want to I bring up today is, is when Jesus is transfigured. And this is out of Mark chapter 9, verse 2 through 8. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. He, and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach. And, then, and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to them, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. So Peter has, and, these are, and there's a, a, a ton of stories of all the things, everything that Jesus did, Peter was right there to witness that. Healing people, uh, making the blind to see, all, all kinds of stuff. And all of these experiences form his faith. That, that is how our faith is formed, by the things that we experience of Jesus. Okay, so now we're going to fast forward a whole bunch to um, the night that Jesus is taken into custody when he's arrested. So Peter and the rest of the disciples are with Jesus at the Last Supper, and Jesus tells them that, that you guys, when this happens, you're going to be scattered. Y'all are going to, are going to run. Of course, that's when Peter stands up like, not me, Lord. I'm not going nowhere. If I have to die, I'll die. Uh, and that's in Matthew 26, 30 through 35. It says, when they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Just a little word of wisdom. If Jesus tells you something's going to happen, don't argue with him. You're just going to look like an idiot, okay? Just write that down and, and, uh, and put that in your mind. So fast forward again. Jesus has been arrested now. We're going to look at, at Peter's denial. And, and we're looking at all this stuff because it's, it's coming. Just hang in there with me. John 18, verses 15 through 18. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did the other disciples. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. 
The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of the man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were there standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. And then uh, in John chapter 18, verses 25 through 27, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You are not one of the disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. And I cannot, uh, I can't even begin to imagine how devastating that was for Peter, because you know the minute, the minute that that rooster crowed, it hit him like a ton of bricks. And he goes, man, the thing I said I wasn't going to do is what I did. Jesus told him it was going to happen. So again, fast forward with me. So Jesus is put on mock trial. He's beaten. He's crucified. He's buried. He rises again. He's appeared to the disciples two times before this story takes place. And Peter is, is there both of those times. But not once during any of that did Jesus bring up Peter's denial. And you know it had to have been killing Peter. I mean, if I'm Peter, that's fresh on my mind. Because the one thing I said I wasn't going to do is, is what I did. I denied him. All right. So let's move on to the main text for today. I know that's a lot of scripture, but it's going to be important. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of reasons that I, I spent so much of the backstory in the front. And the reason for that is that our, our past informs our future, okay? It, or informs our, our, our present. This is how faith is built. We learn to trust as we develop a relationship. So our faith is built upon all the experiences that we have with Jesus. And so I felt like all of these things that happen in Peter's life are so important for us to understand the gravity of, of what Peter's denial said about who Peter was. But then it, it gives us a whole new perspective on Jesus' response to Peter. So John chapter 21. Here we go, finally. So Peter decides to go fishing. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's also the Sea of Galilee. They, those names are used interchangeably. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and, the, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but, they, but that night they caught nothing. Sound familiar? He's hanging there. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. He said to them, Cast your net on the, other side, on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, Hey, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out of the land, got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This is the, now the third time that Jesus um, had revealed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. All right, so why are they at the Sea of Galilee? 
All right? They're there because Jesus told them to go to Galilee, and I'll meet you there. In Matthew 26, 32, he said, But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. Matthew 28, 7 through 10, Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is raised from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there I, they will see me. And then in Mark sixteen seven, But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as I told you, or just as he told you. All right? So, they're in Galilee because Jesus said, go to Galilee, all right? So today we're going to look at the abiding cycle and this experience that Peter's having, but, but we're going to look at two things, okay? Number one, we're going to look at the abiding cycle and Peter's experiences in this story, and then secondly, we're going to look at the correction um, that, that Jesus has with Peter on, his, on his, his failures to abide, okay? So here's the goal for today. That was a lot of introduction, wasn't it? Here we go. All right. Here's the goal for today. This is pretty straightforward. I want us to be able to look into our own lives and see God's overwhelming grace and love that he pours out on us when we fail in our abiding cycle. Because it's going to happen. It's happened for me. It's going to happen for you if it hadn't already. Okay? In this, in this particular passage, though, we're really we're dealing, we're dealing with two abiding cycles. There's not just one here. And it took me a little while to kind of realize that as I was trying to format my thoughts. Um, but the first abiding cycle is, is that Jesus tells the disciples to go to Galilee. Okay, that's the first thing. That's the first commandment that he gives them. So they load up and they go to Galilee. They obeyed. Okay, but that's as far as they got. Peter, at that point, he kind of bails on the abiding cycle and goes fishing. Okay, um, even when we do something outside of what God's instructed us, when God gives us a commandment and we obey it and then we bail, we, we, it, after we make that initial decision, we decide to veer off of that. The cool thing about this is that God still redeems that experience. He still uses that to draw us to himself. And we're going to see that uh, happen in Peter's life today. Okay, So they're there because Jesus instructed them to be. He didn't say what to do when they got there. I'll give you that. He didn't say go to Galilee and wait. He didn't say go to Galilee and go fishing. He just said go to Galilee and I'll meet you there. Okay? We don't know exactly why Peter decided to go fishing. Um, and I can't prove that he was wrong to go fishing. But based on what we know of Peter, it's my opinion that Peter had gotten impatient and decided to just go do something. We see that, that Peter in his life, especially in the garden when Jesus is... is, is being arrested, you know, he pulls his sword out and he cuts a guy's ear off. He just, Peter is a guy that I can really identify with. I grew up um, in, the, in the Methodist church and they have a conference center out in Woodworth. And in there they have these, these pictures of all the disciples. Um, I don't know who the artist was, but they were really, really good. And they were actually Aryan looking. They weren't white guys, which was cool. Um, but Peter is, is the, the, the artist rendition of Peter. I obviously don't know what he looks like, but he was just rough. He was weathered by the storm. It always looked like he was doing one of these. You know, he had that bicep boat up curls for the girls. So, so that's the kind of, that's the imagery that I get of Peter. And I identify with him, not because I'm a, you know, big t- boat up dude, but because I'm impatient. And I'm not. Look at that. That's pitiful. Um, but he's impatient, he's quick-tempered, he, he's, things just come out of his mouth and he tries to get them back. I really can identify with that, okay? And I think that in this particular instance, Peter's impulsiveness and his self-confidence 
kind of were revealing themselves again. He, he was sincere in his actions, but he was wrong. I, ha- I asked Mandy uh, this morning. She's going to give us, I have a quote that I want to share with you guys from the great Dr. Talitha Watley. Uh, and Mandy, if you would, would you, would you tell us, this is my favorite quote, and I've asked Mandy to do it because she can do it better than I can. Go ahead. Whatever you need to do. <laughs> it's a short joke. Look at that. Isn't that great? There's only a few people in the world that can say that to somebody. And, and Talitha is one of those. She said that to me when I was in college, and I'll never forget it. So I think, I think Peter was sincere. Again, this is my opinion, but after looking at this all week, I really think that he chose to step outside of what God was going to do. Okay? So why did he go fishing? If he's wrong, why did he do it? Um, and, and really, we can only theorize why, but here are some of my guesses. I think Peter was embarrassed. I think he was ashamed of, of his failure. He denied Christ three times after speaking so boldly about his willingness to die for Christ. A servant girl. She's not going to kill him. servant girl says, aren't you a disciple? And he's like, mm, not me. I don't know. Mm-mm, no. In, uh, in the screw tape letters, Kyle and I have been reading that together. Uh, C.S. Lewis shows us that Satan so often will encourage us to wallow in our own self-pity and dwell on feelings of guilt. Because it paralyzes us and it makes us... Uh, it makes it appear to us that God has, has moved away from us, that there is now a distance in between us. He's abandoned us. And I think that's what Peter's experiencing here. You know, he's seen Jesus twice since, since Jesus died, since he denied him. Jesus hadn't brought it up at all yet. And I think that he's still struggling with the fact that, that he messed up. He messed up big time. The second reason I think that he went fishing is because Peter's a leader. Jesus tells him before this, you're the rock. You know, my church is going to be founded on you. And he knows that the rest of the disciples are looking at him. So they get to Galilee and they're just standing around. And, and Peter, being an impulsive guy, is like, uh, let's go fishing. And so they, they load up, all right? Um, I don't, you know, I, I think he's probably thinking, because this is kind of how I think, surely Jesus wouldn't want me to be idle right now, right? Like we should be doing something. The third reason I think is he felt separated from God. Uh, and I think, therefore, he assumed that he's going to have to provide for himself and for his family. Because I think he imagined that, that there's no way that God could forgive him for what he had done. I also want to point out that, that Peter's decision to go at it alone pulled others along with him. Six other, Six of the other disciples that said were with him, and it names them in that scripture. That when Peter says, you know what, I'm going to go fishing, they're like, yeah, we're going too, and they all load up. Our, uh, our decisions when we are in the process of abiding as we're following Christ, they don't affect just us. No man is an island. Whether you uh, are part of a community or not, the decisions you make affect the people around you. Uh, this week, my daughter, nine years old, called me out twice and was like, did you ask God about that? That happened, okay? That, a little scary for a dad. One of them was we, we kept this. We had some kittens we were bottle feeding, and we decided we we're going to keep one. We named him. And Sally comes up to me the next day, and she's like, Dad, did you ask God if we could keep Oscar? Yes, I did. I'm glad you, you're thinking that way. And then the other one was, um, we're going on vacation this week. I've got a work trip. We're turning it into a vacation. Uh, Monday night, we're at the house uh, getting some food warmed up for the kids. And it sounded like somebody shot a gun in the house. And uh, it was a microwave. It, like, imploded on itself. They're stupid expensive. Bethany and I are talking about that. And right before bed, Sally comes up to me and she said, Dad, do you think God's telling us he doesn't want us to go on this trip? Because I know, I know that microwave is going to be expensive and we may not have the money for both. Just like, dang, man. So God using my daughter. So my ability to discern what God is saying and then be obedient to what he's telling me doesn't just affect me. It doesn't just affect my wife. But it affects my, my kids, my friends, everybody around me. 
Okay, so that's the first abiding cycle is, is their decision to, or to go to Galilee to be obedient with that, but then I feel like they abandoned that in the middle of it. But God being who he is, I think he redeems that. So now let's look at the fishing trip, all right? So God speaks initially. He tells them to cast their nets, all right? So this is John 21, verse 6. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Just a little side note. I have always wondered when I read this story why that didn't trigger their memory, right? I mean, that's exactly what happened in the story before. And as I was, I was studying this week, I learned something new I didn't know before. So fishermen in those days, they fished at night. They were in these little boats, and they had torches attached to the side of them, and that drew the fish in. But your perspective when you're standing in the boat is vastly different from a perspective that someone was on the shore. They can see ripples in the water that you can't see when you're standing over the water. And so it was common practice in those days for the fishermen to have a guy on the shore that would holler and say, hey, throw this way or throw that way. So for them to have someone stand standing on the shore saying, hey, cast your net on the other side was pretty commonplace, okay? Um, during the, the story in Luke 5, it's different. You know, you'll remember that, that Jesus is, I mean, that Peter's response to Jesus saying cast your net was, dude, we, we've already, we've been fishing all night. We hadn't caught anything. Well, in the story in chapter 5, they had already brought the boats in and cleaned the nets for the day. Like, they were done. You know how it is on a Monday afternoon? You leave the office and you're like, man, I'm so done with Monday, and then your boss calls you up and like, hey, can you run back real quick? And you're like, no, I don't want to. Okay, fine. And you go handle business. That's kind of the, that's the, the feeling I get from Luke chapter 5. But in, in John chapter 21, they're still out there. They're still in the boat, okay? Um, and, and I think this too. This is their first day back on the job. They hadn't been fishing in a long time. Uh, and, and if Peter is, is anything like I am, he did not want to fail, okay? He's the leader. He's the one that decided to go fishing. He could not come back in without a catch of fish. Because now, again, he's, he's, you know, he couldn't do it. And, and how often do we get caught in that trap? Have you guys experienced this before? We step out on our own. We decide, hey, okay, we're going to do this. And then it doesn't work out the way we thought. And so we pour more time and energy and resources into whatever that activity is, trying to make it work. And, and we can't not get it right because failure would validate the fact that we did it without God, which would point out the fact that we went in the wrong direction. I think we, we get hung up on that a lot. I know I do in, in times where I haven't asked God and I just do something. So Jesus spoke. He said, throw your nets on the other side. Their obedience came. They cast the nets. Again, verse 6, he said to them, cast the nets on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Okay? So I already discussed it's common practice for someone to tell the fishermen where to cast. All right? And I think this points out something fascinating about the act of abiding. These guys were wounded, Peter especially. I mean, he was hurt emotionally. And, and obviously his faith had diminished as a result of, of his experience, okay? But Jesus gave him a command that would be easy to follow. Remember, our past informs our present. All they had to lean on at that point, faith-wise, was their most basic instincts. They had been fishermen their whole life. They were used to somebody saying, throw on the other side of the boat. So when Jesus gives them their, in that abiding cycle, when he gives them the command, he gave them a command that would be easy to follow. He met their faith level, and I think Jesus does that with us. He meets us exactly where we are and as we are. He doesn't require us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and get it all together. He meets us exactly where we are, and he gives us a, a command that will be easy for us to obey so that we can step out in faith. 
Again, our obedience is the only part of the abiding cycle that we're responsible for. Uh, and Jesus always makes it a task that's within the faith level that we currently have. I love uh, Glenn a while back when he was teaching through abiding. He was looking at the story of Moses. And, and you, you guys know the story. God tells Moses, go to, go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses' response was, I, I can't do that. I can't talk. And God says, who made your mouth? And so to help Moses understand that God was going to be with him and help him, he says, throw your stick on the ground, your staff. So Moses like, all right, God. Whoa, hey, it's a snake. And then God says, pick it up. Mm-mm, nope. Mm-mm. Pick it up. Mm-mm, God, uh, pick it. Yes, sir. And he picks it up and he turns back into a stick. Throwing your staff down is easy. Picking up a snake by the tail, that's a little bit more difficult. You see the progression there? I, I, I love that story. Um, we're so quick to put requirements on ourselves that God doesn't put there. We so often think, okay, I know I need to be obedient to God, but I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do this. And God's saying, no, I, Moses, I didn't tell you to do anything other than just throw your staff down. Peter, all he asked him to do was just throw his net, something that was easy for him to do. God-exclusive activity. So they cast their, God tells them, throw your nets out. They throw the nets out. The God-exclusive activity, they catch a bunch of fish again. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. So they cast it, and now they're not able to, follow, to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped from work. And threw himself in the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, about 100 yards off. All right, this is another reason I really identify with Peter. This dude is thick, okay? He didn't get it. He just, he not, he not real smart. And I I identify with that. (laughs) Throw the net, okay, throw the net. Pull in a massive amount of fish. Is this not ringing any bells to you, Peter? And And John has to be like, hey, that's Jesus. Okay, now John wrote the book, so there's a possibility that his boy's just knocking on him a little bit, but I don't think that's the case. But Peter, all right, so, hey, it's the Lord. So Peter grabs his clothes because in, in those days you couldn't, you couldn't present yourself to your, to your rabbi in your loincloth because that's what he's wearing. That was not appropriate. So he grabs his clothes and he jumps out of the boat and he, and he swims up. And when I read this story Saturday morning, this is why I put the little sneak peek with Forrest Gump because immediately what came to my mind was Forrest Gump jumping off the shrimp boat to go swim up to the dock to see Lieutenant Dan. And he gets up on the dock and he's like, Lieutenant Dan, what are you doing here? And he's like, I told you I was coming. I mean, that's exactly, for me, that's exactly what I'm reading in this. I was going to use a gif. Bethany told me that was like way 2,000 pastorish. Don't do it. And so I didn't. So it's her fault. You didn't get a cool gif today. Uh, or maybe she's protecting me. That's probably it. So the God-exclusive activity, let me just point this out, is always for our betterment. God does that stuff so that we can learn something about him. In this, in this instant, God does this exclusive thing. He gets this big catch of fish, and Peter didn't even stick around for it. He jumps out of the boat, swims away from the God-exclusive activity, and goes to Jesus. Now, is going to Jesus a good thing? Yes. But when God does something exclusive, take a second to take that in. Let that inform your faith. Realize what has, what has gone on. The rest of the disciples get it. They bring the fish in. Good thing because Jesus is like, hey, bring some of them fish. All right? So when Peter reaches the shore, there is this flood of truth that hits him. As he's coming up out of the water, all of a sudden his mind is open to all the things that he already knows but he had forgotten. Again, our past informs our present. It's the foundation of our personal faith. 
Jesus used several things to remind Peter of all the things that he experienced. And that's why I went through all of that stuff this morning. They fished and caught nothing all night long. Just like in, in, the, in, in chapter 5, they fished all night and, and caught nothing. Jesus parallels that story again. And, and the commentaries also reference John fifteen five, which is where Jesus is teaching on abiding. And in, in verse 5, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He's pointing out to Peter again, hey, look, man, you go at it alone, it's not going to work. The second thing, they obeyed even though they didn't recognize who Jesus was at the moment. In in both Luke 5 and in John chapter 21, they didn't know that it was Jesus that was giving them the command, but they did it anyway. Jesus, again, is putting those parallels back in front of Peter. The miraculous catch of fish. Luke chapter 5, verse 6, they caught in so many fish it was making the two boats sink. John chapter 21, verse 6, they bring in, uh, it says 153 uh, fish. That number, nobody really knows what it means. One of the the theories is is that there was 153 species of fish uh, that lived in the Sea of Galilee. And so they caught one of every fish and it was uh, John trying to communicate that no one is excluded from, from being caught by Jesus. But again... There's a miraculous catch of fish. Jesus is reminding him of his first experience. Again, informing that faith, reminding him of that foundation that he has. Jesus providing the 5,000 with a meal of bread and fish and making them breakfast on the beach of bread and fish. Again, another parallel for Jesus to remind him of this amazing thing that, that he was a part of, that he experienced. Okay, Using a charcoal fire to cook breakfast. Man, this one was sharp. If you'll remember when Jesus denied, when Peter denied Jesus the first time, he was standing at a charcoal fire. And, and I don't know about you guys, but sometimes certain smells, man, they bring me back in an instant to when I first experienced that smell. And I think that Jesus did that purposefully. He could have used wood, but it says he used charcoal. And I think that was to remind Peter to bring him back to that moment. Okay? So what always happens after God-exclusive activity? Man, we fall more in love with God. We're like, and, and Peter is like, dang, look at all this stuff that Jesus has done for me. And in that one moment... Jesus reminds and brought freshness to everything major that happened in Peter's time with Jesus. Jesus' response to Peter's uh, failure was love and grace. And that's the same exact response. When we fail, when we, when we try to abide but we just don't quite make it, our response is always that we're going to get from Jesus is always going to be grace and love. And, and Satan is going to always try to convince us that our failures have, not, have driven a wedge between us and God, and it's always a lie. Even in the midst of our failures, Jesus is working. In the midst of our failures, he is redeeming. And in the midst of our failures, he is loving us. There's nothing that we can ever do that's going to not allow Jesus to be Jesus. Jesus is love. That is what he does. And there's no no activity that we can do that's going to change that. So let's look to the second half of of John chapter 21. Okay, because this... After they they have breakfast, this is when Jesus gets down to business. It says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? There's a lot of conversation about about what Jesus is asking him there. Is he he pointing at the other disciples? Is he pointing at the fishing equipment? Uh, But but Peter says to him, Lord, you know that I love you. So regardless of what he's talking about, the point is, is that Peter says, you know I love you. Jesus says to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying these things, he said to him, follow me. So Jesus asked Peter three times if he loves him. And he does this to connect the dots for Peter of the three times that he denied him. In this really tender yet painful moment, Jesus is, is, well, let me point this out first before we get to that. It's a tender and painful moment, but it's public. Jesus does this in front of the rest of the disciples, and I think it's important for us to note that. Peter's sin was public. He made that proclamation. He said, I'm going to do this. I'll, I'll die for you. He said that in front of the rest of the disciples. Now, he's the rock. He's the foundation for these guys. He's what's supposed to hold them together. And so Jesus deals with that in front of those same guys. Peter didn't only need to be restored for his own healing, but he needed to be restored for the rest of the disciples. They needed to see that Jesus dealt with this and that they can move past it. We all know how it is. We see somebody that we look up to fumble and fall, and it affects us. And so Jesus dealt with that in front of those guys so that they could, they could have that healing opportunity as well. And I love that, that in this, Jesus loves him enough to deal with his sin, and he does the same for us. Jesus loves us enough that he doesn't just let us sit there and wallow in our sin and feel guilty. He deals with it, and he does it right away. And then after he's dealt with it, he moves on. One of the commentators, and I I found this really interesting, pointed out that that last thing that Jesus said to him, follow me, has an inflection of lightheartedness. Like Jesus asking these really serious questions and, you know, do you love me? And yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He's like, all right, follow me. I love that. Jesus, after he's dealt with the sin, he, he forgets it. And he says, all right, man, we're back. We're right where we left off. Let's go. Let's do this thing. After each of these questionings of Peter, there's a command. This is important. At first glance, they may all appear to be the same command, but Jesus is actually giving Peter three different directives in this, in this story. And I think that it, it's important to say to you guys that remember, abiding is obeying. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. So, so Peter gives him a, or Jesus gives Peter a practical opportunity to, to prove his love. He says, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Feed my lambs. The word feed there means exactly that, feed. He's talking about the word. He's using, and the word lambs refers to a young sheep, okay? So that can either mean young in stature or young in age. I think both are applicable, either one. He's saying to, Jesus, he's saying to Peter, they're going to be those who are new into the fold. Feed them. Build them up. And the second thing he says to him is, tend my sheep. It's a different word, tend. It means to take care of, to organize, to, to be a shepherd to those sheep, to the older ones. As they're growing, tend those sheep. Take care of the church. And then the third one is feed my sheep, not my lamb. So feed the church. Take care of the church. Disciple the church. So he tells him to take care of the young ones, to tend the older ones, and feed the older ones. Help that church to grow. So Jesus takes all of our failures and he redeems them. And then he sends us out to tell the world of what he's done for us. So how do we deal with failure? We're in the middle of the abiding cycle. For whatever reason, we check out, we go our own route. What do we do? 
We run back to Jesus. I love uh, A.W. Tozer says that a sign of spiritual maturity, and I, I feel like I say this all the time, but it's so important for me, a sign of spiritual maturity is that when we sin, we run to God and not away from him. Man, when we mess up, don't run from God. He already knows. You're not hiding anything. Yes, it hurts. Yes, you feel shame. You feel guilt. You are guilty. But Jesus' desire is not for us to feel guilty. His desire is to forgive us and love us. So when you make a mistake, man, run to Jesus. Admit your failure and ask him for forgiveness. See, I botched this one. I need, I need you to forgive me so we can pick up where we left off. And then when he forgives you, obey what he says. That's abiding. We obey. So we see in Peter's life, we see a man who, who spent three years next to Jesus Christ. He saw all the miracles that he performed. And then in, in, in the most intimate moment, he fails. And he denies Christ. And it hurts. And when we make up, when, we, when we're in the middle of the abiding cycle and we mess up, it hurts. We know that we've made a mistake. When God points it out, we're like, oh, you know, and hopefully those failure comes in things that aren't huge, but sometimes they're going to be in things that are huge, and they're going to affect other people that are around us. And we need to be willing to step up and say, hey, I missed it, and then run to Jesus, asking for forgiveness. And when he forgives you, he's going to give you a command. He's either going to say, all right, now, go do what I told you to do originally, or, well, that's not an option anymore, so now do this and obey what he says. Prove your love by obeying. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much just for your love and your grace and, and how good you are to us. Then in the midst of our, our struggle to abide and, our, and our, our failure to do the things that you've asked us to do, God, that in those moments that you don't abandon us, that you love us and you redeem us. That's my prayer that this week, that, that as we walk through the busyness of life, Father, that we would be cognizant of the things that you are doing moment by moment. And Father, that we could hear your voice. And Father, that you would give us the faith that we need to obey so that we can see you for who you really are and fall deeper and deeper in love with you. Father, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.